This episode brought to you by Progressive. Most of you aren't just listening right now. You're driving, cleaning, and even exercising. But what if you could be saving money by switching to Progressive? Drivers who save by switching save nearly $750 on average. And auto customers qualify for an average of seven discounts. Multitask right now. Quote today at Progressive.com. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. National average 12-month savings of $744 by new customers surveyed who saved with Progressive between June 2022 and May 2023. Potential savings will vary. Discounts not available in all states and situations. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. This is At The Turn. It's time for discussion and interviews about the world of golf you won't hear anywhere else. Here are your hosts, Nick Heidelberger and Joe Simons. Hey, welcome into another edition of At The Turn. Joe and Nick with you as always. Nick, we're doing something a little bit different for this episode. No Bryson, no PGA Tour stuff. We're not going to regale you with our stories of weirdness in the golf course. We're going to use whatever platform that we have here to talk about an issue that is happening all throughout the United States. I mean, we're on night 50 of protests here in Portland against police brutality and support of Black Lives Matter. It's a conversation that's hopefully happening all across the country, and we're putting a golf spin on it today. We're joined by a very special guest. Yeah, I think, uh, well, well, Jim Beatty um, from African American Golfers Digest was kind enough to, to give us 45 minutes of his time um, to talk about. I, I just think it's an important conversation. Golf is such a such an elitist sport. If you just look at the the lack of diversity, um, you know it is. You know the cliche is a it's a rich white men's sport. Um, so I, I just think you know next to all these protests and the momentum behind Black Lives Matter, it's kind of important to put golf into context with all of that. Where does it stand? You know why is it the way it is, and what's being done? Is, is there actual progress being made? Yeah. Without further ado, here is our conversation with Jim Beatty. He's the executive editor of African American Golfers Digest. So, Jim, I guess first of all, for folks that aren't familiar with African American Golfers Digest and what the publication is, can you give our listeners an idea of what it is? Oh, absolutely. The uh, African American Golfers Digest uh, publication uh, started off and still is is a print uh, uh, publication that started, uh, I think it's 17 years ago now, by DeBert Cook, who's the founder and uh, publisher based out of New York. And um, she uh, developed the magazine to really showcase the accomplishments, talents, as well as the uh, involvement of African-Americans in golf. And it's uh, certainly the subscriptions open to everybody that is interested uh, in golf or in that particular aspect of it. I have been involved with it uh, for the past 15 years and most recently as the executive editor 
Uh, and so I uh, am involved in writing a few articles and doing a few interviews and, and things of that nature, and I enjoy it immensely. It has a uh, subscription base of about 20,000 and a readership of uh, around 60,000. And we're very uh, pleased that uh, uh, now it is offered in digital content uh, to, uh, to, to the public. And that has been going rather successfully uh, as well, too. Great. Um, so can you give us a little bit of, of your own personal background? Uh, how did you get started in, in golf? How long have you been playing golf? Um, was there somebody, it's kind of a sport where a lot of times a, a parent or grandparent will, will get somebody hooked on the game. Was there somebody who kind of influenced you or, or got you into the game? Or how did, what's, what's your background in the game? That, that's a great question. Um, uh, obviously, I've known about golf for quite some time, watched it as a kid uh, growing up in Chicago on the west side. And I, I have to admit that golf was not the sport that uh, myself and other uh, young men and, and women migrated to. We were more basketball, baseball, and football. Um, uh, growing up in Chicago, then I went to uh, college in, in Nebraska at a school called Doan uh, University and uh, got involved uh, or introduced to golf primarily through the PE class uh, <laughs> there. Uh, but uh, after graduating and going into the professional world, I worked for Northwestern Bell, which then was a unit of AT&T. There were a lot of outings that included golf, and I always felt, man, I really need to learn how to play this uh, sport uh, since I'm invited to these activities, and they all involve golf. But really, I, I fought it and said, well, you know, this is really not a very athletic sport. There's no jumping involved. There's no running involved. Uh, it's just a little old white ball, and, and it, it couldn't take much skill to play this, so it just didn't interest me. Uh, until uh, about age 47, I met a gentleman by the name of Steve Hogan uh, in Omaha, uh, which is where I'm based. And Steve Hogan was the only black PGA professional in the state of Nebraska. And he happened to run a city course uh, at that time called Miller Park Golf Course. It is now called, in his honor, uh, Steve Hogan Golf Course, since he's deceased. And uh, he would, um, he, he was always a good friend. And he said, come on down and just play. And, you know, hey, here's a, here, here's a nine iron. I, I just, I'll just let you come play and hit the ball. Well, I did. And I found out very quickly that it wasn't what I thought. I thought this was easy, very little skill involved. And man, was I surprised and as well as embarrassed at uh, my attempt to hit the ball much less to get it in the hole. So from that point on, I've been hooked. Uh, I've been fortunate uh, to have met and been involved with other people. Uh, Pete McDaniel, uh, the, uh, one of the authors of, of, uh, Uneven, of the book Uneven Lies. Uh, Michael Cooper, who's the chairman of the Diversity uh, Task Force for We Are Golf. Steve Mona. Uh, I mean, there's a list of people uh, that uh, I have, that golf has introduced me to. And every time I meet someone in golf, I just get more excited about it and really want to share that enthusiasm and excitement with other people. 
But I'd, I'd have to credit Steve Hogan as really the, the pivot, pivotal point in my life, uh, as well as DeBert Cook with the magazine to get me involved from a playing uh, standpoint. And I'd have to say, sometime when I'm playing, I'm very thankful to Steve Hogan. And sometime when I'm playing, I'm very unthankful. If that's the word. <laughs> so, uh, so it just depends on the shot in the hole. But no, overall, I love the game, enjoy it, and want to share it and want to spread the word. Well, it's, it's funny with golf. I mean, the difficulty of golf is is a deterrent for some people, but it's also the thing that, that addicts a lot of people. And I know for me, that's the case is like, it, it's so hard, but when you do find a little bit of success, it's so rewarding. And then for me, that's what, what kind of keeps me addicted. So it's, it's, it's interesting. Um, I, I'm curious what your experience in golf has been like. I, I picked up golf as an adult and I was extremely intimidated um, to show up to a golf course to tee off on the first hole. Yeah. Um, but I, I'm wondering as, as a black man in a in a predominantly white sport, I mean, have you experienced racism, or what has your experience with golf been like? And, and is, has there been the kind of intimidation? Or I'm just curious about that. Well, I I have not experienced direct racism in terms of my uh, inability to play at a course or anything like that. Uh, uh, I have to look at people, certainly such as uh, Lee Elder and Charlie Sifford and Teddy Rhodes uh, and, and others, Joe Lewis and, and others, to, uh, to say that, you know, what those gentlemen uh, and ladies, Althea Gibson, Renee Powell, what they experience uh, really gives me the strength uh, and the motivation and courage to take on any challenge and, and task that comes with it. Uh, I, I, perhaps for me has been more from the business side that the more I've learned about the sport and industry of golf, which according to the National Golf Foundation is an uh, $84 billion uh, industry. Uh, and, and with my background being in business, I've been more uh, concerned about the disparities uh, in golf uh, from a business and economic standpoint as well as from a managerial uh, standpoint. Uh, Last year, I uh, wrote an article about, uh, which was just uh, taking a look at the golf industry at certain certain groups at a point in time in terms of who's represented on boards uh, of directors of golf, as well as in the executive suites. And it was just kind of uh, alarming to me that uh, easily less than 3%, less than 3% uh, of the uh, boards of directors uh, and management staff of some of the major organizations are occupied by uh, people of color. That that really was a, a bit of a awakening and alarming for me to find out. And then also, um, uh, even though there is no specific documentation, uh, my my indirect analysis suggests that we we are probably we being African Americans are less than three percent of the $84 billion industry. Now, with all of that, I'm not angry at all. I'm simply saying golf, there is an opportunity to expand. Since everybody wants to expand the game in the industry, that's all I've heard since I've been in it, grow the game, expand it, that there are many opportunities in the business of golf and the management of golf for for African-Americans, people of color, women to become much more involved in the game, which if that were to happen, or as that ha- does happen, the game will grow 
uh, I think not only organically, but it will attract more people, uh, non-golfers uh, to the game, which is what we want. We want, we want bottom line, more rounds played and more people playing them. That's it. And so when you can play and, in, and be involved in an activity where people, more and more people look like you, uh, the, the intimidation factor uh, tends to uh, diminish uh, quite a bit. This is not an indictment by any means, by any means on people that are running the game today. I think it's simply an opportunity that I think heretofore that uh, perhaps was not viewed as an opportunity. Uh, but now uh, it is one and uh, I, along with many others, are committed to uh, working with the, the leaders in the golf industry to, to indeed and in fact make this open and available to as many people of color uh, as we can, not only in the U.S., but uh, internationally as well, too. That's my commitment. Uh, I enjoy it, and I know what I feel the game can uh, provide uh, for people uh, of all uh, races and of all ages. Uh, it's, a, it's a great opportunity, something you can play a lifetime, for a lifetime, and uh, why not try to share that experience with everybody? Jim, we're now 23 years removed from Tiger's win at Augusta at the Masters in 1997, and a lot of the conventional wisdom coming out of that was, okay, now we're going to see a lot more representation. We're going to see more black PGA Tour stars, black LPGA Tour stars. And that really hasn't happened with the exception of a few, you know, Harold Varner III comes to mind. Tiger's still out on tour, but it's obviously still predominantly white on both the PGA and LPGA Tours. Are we looking at the wrong metrics by just saying, okay, the PGA Tour isn't diverse enough the LPGA Tour isn't diverse enough. Should we be looking at lower levels of golf, junior, high school, college? How should we actually try to put numbers to it and say, okay, we're doing better in these areas and it's going to have a cascading effect eventually? I think that's a great question. And, and while measuring or, or counting the number of folks on the PGA and LPGA Tour is one measurement. It is not the only measurement. I think proper uh, credence and uh, uh, support has to be given to, to everything you just mentioned. How, how many folks are playing at the high school level, uh, at the junior level? How many folks are playing at the collegiate level, NC2A, NAIA, Division One, Division Two, whatever the case might be, that we have to look at those systems that feed into uh, the makings of a pro, if you will. When, when you look at the folks on the tour, certainly Tiger Woods, uh, you know, he stands by himself, right? But, I mean, he did go to college. He went to Stanford. Uh, but then we look at also Harold Varner, uh, Cameron Champ, Joseph Bramlett, and uh, Mariah Stackhouse on the uh, LPGA, that uh, certainly the collegiate route was their way to get in uh, to professional golf. But the commonality that it seems to me is that they all started at an early age. They had significant parental involvement. They were quite involved in junior golf. And, and by the way, I'm happy to say that Stephen Hamlin with uh, 
the AJGA is, is a good friend and a, and a great supporter that we have to get more uh, kids of color. Uh, we have to get more kids, but certainly I think there has to be a, a, a focus to get more kids of color involved. This is not a sport, uh, at least from my uh, research, that you can take up at age 21 and then begin to uh, play well. I think you, you do have to go through the uh, system. And that seems to be a commonality among the pros that some way, somehow, they were all involved with junior golf. And so we've got to get more kids involved in, in, in junior golf. Now, junior golf can't just reside at the country clubs. It's got to reside in the inner city somewhere. Uh, and it's got to resolve, uh, excuse me, reside at facilities that accommodate uh, uh, those kids that are living in the urban areas, uh, or it could be rural areas too, but I, I'll just focus on urban areas for the sake of this question that uh, not all of these kids have access to, to, uh, to country clubs or golf, uh, private golf facilities that somehow we've, we've got to address that and uh, begin to make that open uh, and available. So I, I think there's a whole system. We also look at the uh, HBCUs and that's, that's been a very uh, challenging uh, review. Uh, uh, just, uh, I think about a month ago, uh, Hampton University um, closed their, uh, shut down their men's and women's program. Now, this is less than a year after Howard University reinstituted their program, uh, of course, with the assistance of uh, Steph Curry, who donated uh, money to get their program going. So, so the status uh, of golf at the HBCUs, which has been a tremendous feeding uh, feed uh, factor uh, for the uh, PGA, I think Tim O'Neill came out of that system and what have you. Uh, we we have to, uh, uh, I think, improve that and and stabilize that and and grow that uh, as well. The other point I would make is the Advocates Tour, uh, which uh, by definition has been to uh, promote the African-American representation in golf, especially from the competitive uh, level. Uh, they have been doing an excellent job and we wanna continue to see them uh, do well and get those young men to move uh, from the Advocates Tour to the PGA uh, as well. So, so there are several feeder systems uh, that are out there that I think we need to address uh, if indeed we want to see more folks uh, on the professional level. Uh, I'm not touched on it from an international standpoint, but uh, my, this focus is really from the U.S. Uh, standpoint right now. But there are many opportunities from the international standpoint as well. Uh, and all, all of these take commitment, uh, money, and resources, and, and we all get it and we understand. We have some additional challenges, certainly with, uh, with the pandemic and what have you. But uh, I'm glad to see golf is uh, being reintroduced uh, on TV. I'm a, I'm a fan of golf as well, too. Uh, but we, we certainly would like to see more. We think the talent uh, is out there or, and the talent can be developed. And, and can rise to the level of playing on the PGA and, and the LPGA. But support and resources are needed for sure. Jim, you mentioned Steph, and he's one of a number of athletes that aren't necessarily famous for golf, but they have a big role in golf, right? Like they participate in a lot of these celebrity tournaments. You mentioned Steph putting his money where his mouth is, you know, funding the Howard golf programs. He's an ambassador 
do you see figures like Steph and folks that are connected with the black community outside of golf as having a role in this process, being influencers, kind of non-traditional folks who have a role in golf, but it's not their primary function as Steph is obviously an NBA star. Another great question. I think Steph through his foundation and, and, and we're very thankful uh, that he has committed uh, his resources uh, to assist in that. We would certainly love to encourage others uh, to, to follow in his uh, footsteps, uh, if you will, to, to do something similar. So whether it's professional athletes or, uh, or actors, I think Will Smith was involved at one point in sponsoring Tim O'Neill, who was on the tour, that we would like to see these folks engaged uh, in a way that, that does promote the sport and individuals in it. As I mentioned, it does take resources, and uh, they, the, these professional athletes and actors, they've been blessed, and uh, they're very skillful at their particular uh, careers, and uh, it would be such a blessing uh, if they did find uh, within them to share some of their uh, uh, talents and resources uh, with the community to do that. What I find interesting, too, is that many of these uh, folks, after their professional careers, and then in some cases during their professional careers, they have become avid golfers. Uh, certainly the Michael Jordans of the world, Charles Barkley, God bless his swing, uh, and others that have uh, become avid golfers. At one point, Dr. J. Julius Irving, he actually was an owner of a golf course in Atlanta area. And so golf has been a part of their uh, professional uh, uh, pursuits, and we like to see others join in. Uh, but we, I think we also have to make uh, time and, and the availability for other people that may not have those level of means to also participate. Uh, a national player development fund, uh, a, as an example, is something that uh, could be uh, developed and sustained where people could could uh, provide dollars that would go into a player development fund that would support activities in places like an HBCUs, the Advocates Tour, uh, Junior Golf, uh, the whole bit. Uh, so, I mean, that that's quite an undertaking, but I think it's, it's indicative of what's needed uh, out there. Uh, I think African-Americans have to take much more uh, ownership and responsibility. We can't say that uh, we want others to do it for us. I think we've got to come up uh, and really uh, step up and do what's needed and, and be the primary folks involved in that. We will always take uh, help and assistance from, from everybody else but, uh, uh, that wants to participate. But I think, I think a part of it is on us to uh, begin to uh, do the things that, that Steph Curry, uh, God bless him, has done uh, and, and follow in, in their guidance and, and with their wisdom and, and do things like that. It's needed. It is definitely needed. So the PGA of America did not eliminate its Caucasian-only clause until 1961. Right. The first black member at Augusta was admitted in 1990, which is crazy to me. Um, the first African-American played in the U.S. Open in 1898, and the second played in 1948, so a 50-year 50 year span there. Um, okay. Golf is the kind of game that a lot of people learn from previous generations or, you know, you, you see, you, you kind of, you see somebody, you know, you, you can relate to. 
Um, so, so who is introducing golf to, to young black people today? I, mean, I know we talked a little bit about, you know, needing more junior programs and things like that, right. but, but who, is, who is introducing golf today? Uh, the, the golf has been introduced certainly uh, in part through the first tee program, which uh, I think is, is a good program, a great program. Uh, I think many, many uh, young men and women have been introduced to the game uh, through the first tee. However, there are many community-based programs, uh, too numerous to mention here, that, that are involved in introducing the game. I could, I could cite programs uh, in, in the Dallas area, as an example, Roaring Lambs, uh, that introduces uh, young folks to the game. Golf My Future, My Game, I, based out of Washington, D.C., uh, run by Craig Kirby, uh, introducing folks to the game, not just from a player standpoint, but also from a career standpoint. Uh, Women in Golf Foundation with Jean Gould, Women in Golf, uh, Women of Color Golf in Tampa, Florida. There are a number of, of uh, community-based organizations that are essentially volunteers uh, that have uh, taken on this role and responsibility. And that has that has recreated uh, opportunities and created opportunities, I should say, all over the United States. So it's been the first T, it's been these community-based programs, which are just so essential uh, to the game. But again, it comes back to additional resources, funding, uh, time and talent needed to, uh, to continue to grow these programs. Eventually too, yeah, and again, I think if we would look at the professional golfers, what their uh, role has been and how they have uh, progressed, going to various elite golf academies, uh, which cost money, obviously, and I understand that. That's another component of it. But again, we have many feeder systems into this, but all take time and resources. Uh, we have to continue introducing uh, kids to the game. Uh, personally, I think it, it needs to be introduced via uh, the school system, public and private, and PE classes, uh, uh, as well as uh, promoted uh, at the high school and collegiate uh, level, uh, certainly not only from playing golf recreationally, not everybody can be Tiger Woods or Mariah Stackhouse or others, but, but also look at the business opportunities in golf look at the uh, employment opportunities uh, in golf. There are careers in golf. So golf, I don't think, has been viewed by the African-American community as a career uh, choice uh, because I think the view has been very limited to playing professionally, whereas the reality is there are thousands of jobs impacted by the golf industry. And so we need to get more people involved uh, in that aspect as well. So do you see those those theater program is the first T in, in some of those community programs that you're, you mean, that you mentioned um, as maybe there's first generation kids getting involved in it. And then if they stay hooked, then they're becoming the parent and the grandparent who's passing it down to future generations. And that, that, that momentum's going to keep building. Are, are you confident that's, that's going to happen? I, I want to be confident that it will happen, but I need to ensure that it will happen by making uh, opportunities available for the graduates, quote unquote, of these programs to remain involved in golf uh, on some level that uh, allows them to, uh, to, to bring other folks uh, into the game as well. 
But the other part too is expansion of some of the current programs. I, I think cer certainly the first T, there's, even though it's doing a great job, I think it can do a greater job. Uh, AJGA, uh, which um, again, talking to Steve Hamlin, uh, you know, their leader, uh, he is constantly out searching for more people to take on uh, internships and become involved uh, in tournament play, that we have to uh, meet, meet him, if you will, with uh, the resources because he's providing opportunities. So uh, I think that the, the, the will is out there to do it, uh, and in some cases more than others, but uh, it's out there and we've got to take advantage of it. Uh, so we have to be in positions of communication, positions of management, positions of authority uh, to continue to get the word out and spread the word. Uh, it's got to be covered more, I think, in the media uh, than it has been. And, and that means from the golf channel, uh, nothing against podcasts or by any means, but it's got to be covered in mainstream media. It just can't be one-sided or one-dimensional. It's got to be multi-dimensional as well, too. And uh, again, I come back to the HBCUs. We've seen a, uh, a decline in golf uh, in terms of uh, programs at HBCUs. We'd like to see that bolstered, but we'd also like to see golf presented as a field of study. Golf course superintendents uh, opportunity, food and beverage managers. You know, just this past week, uh, I have... Um, uh, had discussions with a major golf uh, management company uh, stating that, you know, they want to have more people of color in terms of uh, candidates for the positions they have at golf clubs uh, throughout the country. And so the, the continued awakening, perhaps, is, is a good term, of, uh, of people that are engaged in the industry to open their uh, doors and opportunities in a very a uh, proactive way and in an intentional way to get more folks involved. Yeah, you know, Jim, you mentioned kind of the top-down approach of, you know, the people in power making these positions more accessible to people of color. For folks that are listening to our podcast, and while we hope the executives at the Golf Channel are listening to At The Turn, we're not holding our breath, what can golfers do just everyday folks out there to help improve accessibility, the situation for black people, people of color in the game of golf? Is it having conversations like this? Is it donating time? Is it donating money? Is it a little bit of everything? Yeah, I think it's all of the above. Uh, if, um, uh, as, as uh, has been noted, I've been involved in the uh, We Are Golf, prior to that, it was Golf 2020 uh, program, the Diversity Initiative Task Force. Uh, I, was I am chairman of the Recreational and Competitive Play Committee. One of the things we did was list about 250 organizations on the We Are Golf website. Uh, the name uh, of the organization, the contact individual, and where we had it, the contact information for them as well, too. There is a program somewhere near you. Whoever's listening to this podcast, I guarantee you there's a program near you. If you go to the We Are Golf website and you look under organizations, you can find an organization near you. How do you support it? Certainly with resources, volunteering your time, volunteering your resources, providing dollars. And, and, and what I want to stress to people is that 
certainly your dollars may be limited. We all have limited dollars. The only, you know, only Bill Gates and Warren Buffett don't have. Well, anyway, I'm, that's a whole other subject. But nonetheless, you can you can host fundraising events to support these organizations. You can have a, a golf tournament. You can have a coffee clash. It doesn't matter to me, but you can find ways to support this financially and to also engage others, help volunteer, help bring other volunteers. So it's not all, always money. I mean, that's a piece of it, but it's other resources. There are ways to become engaged, but to simply identify who the people are and the organizations, they're listed on the We Are Golf website. And if, they, if, if there's an organization out there listening to the podcast that is not listed, all they need to do is contact uh, the We Are Golf people and they will be added. Uh, to the website. So we're going to continue to promote that uh, as another portal, if you will, for people to become engaged with and uh, help expand uh, and grow the game. That's the bottom line. We want to grow the game. Jim Beatty, the executive editor of African American Golfers Digest. Jim, we really appreciate your time today. Um, again, if you want to get, get access to the publication, access it online, get the print version, how do folks do that? AfricanAmericanGolfersDigest.com. Uh, just simply go to the website. And if you don't mind me uh, adding one item to another website, uh, AAGolfExpo.com, which is the uh, February, upcoming February 2021 African American Golf Expo and Forum, which will be held in Atlanta, Georgia, specifically in Marietta at the Hilton Conference Center. Uh, February 20 through 23, there will be four days of, of golf instruction, golf seminars, uh, golf exhibitions, specifically dedicated to uh, African Americans, but open to everyone, open to everyone that wants to share the experience of growing the golf and focusing on the African American community as another market, another opportunity. And again, the bottom line is that we just want to grow the game. Personally, I'd like to get much better at it, but I want to grow the game nonetheless. Jim, thanks again for your time today. We really appreciate it. Thank you, gentlemen. I appreciate it. Thank you so much. We really enjoyed having you. Okay. I'm Lacey Evans. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time at The Turn.